So, Rich, would you come at this time and share what God has put on your heart? You know, you used to just be able to come up and start preaching. Nowadays, you've got to turn on all these gadgets. Anyway, we're very happy to be here with you. Uh, if you do want to pray for us and remember us, this is the first prayer card we've had without all our children. So anyway, they'll be on the table back there where Chris and Rose have a display. So we'll put those over there if you'd like one. I think we'll start off today. I'm just going to pray, and I'd like you to just uh, bow your heads and your hearts, and we'll just thank the Lord. Padre Celestial, te damos gracias, Señor, por tu misericordia, por tu bondad. Y um, confesamos, Señor, que es verdad, que nunca cambies. Y tú eres el mismo ayer, hoy, y serás lo, el mismo mañana. Te damos gracias por enviar, por haber enviado a tu Hijo Jesucristo para rescatarnos de nuestros pecados, Señor. Ayúdanos hoy a entenderlo un poco mejor. Y eh, si hay alguien aquí en la congregación que todavía no conoce a Jesús, ayúdales a conocerle hoy. Te lo pedimos en el nombre de Jesucristo. Amén. That's all the Spanish I'm going to speak today. So, yeah, amen. <laughs> There's one, brother. It's, uh, you know, that's something I always enjoy coming back to the United States. It's, uh, you just can talk. You don't have to think. And uh, maybe I should think more. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that's sort of how life is. Um, we're going to talk today about a passage of Scripture. You know, when you study the book of Acts and you study uh, the epistles, uh, it can get quite challenging if you're thinking about things and you're thinking about your life. Uh, and so uh, hopefully today I won't overdo it, but uh, we're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians. Uh, let me see. There we go. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And let's just go ahead and read that. I think I have it in the ESV, but... I'm just going to read it. Well, maybe I'll read it from there. You can follow along in your Bible. You remember that Paul preached in Asia Minor. This is the beginning of his second missionary journey. He went to some places, but the first big city was Thessalonica. And you'll remember that uh, soon after, many times within the year or closely after thereafter, Judaizers, Judaizantes, I said I wasn't going to speak in Spanish, Judaizers, other people would come and they would twist the gospel. They would confuse people. And so Paul had to write these letters. And so when we think of Scripture progressively and we think of it as the progressive revelation of God, we need to study these epistles and try to sort of unpack it so that we understand better what our job is on this, in this day and age. Paul says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but although uh, though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. We're just going to read that those four verses this morning. Uh, we're not going to read the rest until verse 12. But as we read this First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, one thing that there's a number of things that jump out to us here, but perhaps reading it in its context, the thing, the most important thing you should understand is that Paul and Silas, you remember he had just parted ways with uh, Barnabas, and now he's showing up on the scene there, second missionary journey, he does, and he's with Silas, and he's with Timothy. 
And uh, just before they got to Thessalonica, they got thrashed in Philippi. And I mean, they got beat up. Uh, many times that word used there in, uh, well, it's in another passage, but when we, the word here is outrageously mistreated. They were Roman citizens, and they beat them almost within an inch of their life. Okay, many times when they would use those sticks, the vitis, uh, it would end in the death of a man. Okay? And so you can imagine. And, and, and just think about that. Somebody beats the tar out of you, and then you get up and go to the next place, and you have to say the message. You know? And we could all use a good dosis of that spirit. Okay? The spirit, the spirit of God, but the spirit that Apostle Paul had. Um when we think about the gospel, we've been entrusted with the gospel. Most of us are very familiar. Your people get really good teaching here at your church. You sing good songs. You know that we're stewards. We're stewards of, for example, here, spiritual gifts. And uh, Peter said in 1 Peter 4.10 that just as everyone has received a special gift employed in serving one another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And my wife just pointed out to me in your bulletin, you've got a list, uh, a sheet that says today's servants are. That's great. We should be exercising our spiritual gift in this body of believers. And you are. Many of you are doing different things in the church. That's wonderful. Teaching, greeting people at the door, handing out bulletins, whatever it might be. Praying for other people. Uh, but we all understand we're stewards. God has given to us a stewardship. And we are to exercise that gift very carefully. Then when we talk about talents, you think you go back to the teaching of Jesus Christ. And you know from that passage in Matthew 25 that he gave one guy five, one guy two, I think, and one guy one. And, and the expectation in that passage is that they were supposed to do something with that. And that's the same expectation of God in our lives. If he saved you, if he's rescued you from your sins and his spirit lives in you, it's just like Pastor said in his prayer this morning, it's a great privilege to be a Christian. And I know sometimes I struggle to understand that or remember that, but it is. It's incredible that we're believers. And so we know that we have a stewardship. We're supposed to use what God has given to us. But when it comes to the gospel, it's the same thing, but many of us have sort of forgotten that. And as I've written here, the New Testament also clearly indicates that believers are stewards of the gospel message, okay? Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, Let a man regard us in this manner, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Okay, he's talking about the gospel. God has entrusted to us the gospel. And we need to all seriously take that into consideration. Now, I don't want anybody, as I'm going down through this passage, I don't want anybody to think, well, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm not uh, the Apostle Paul, Rich. And I'm not like you because I'm not up there speaking, so... You know, this has got to be, it's like Chris said yesterday, well, I'm glad that guys are going over to different places in the world, but that's not for me. May the Lord be with you, brother. Okay, I'm not talking about that today. I'm talking about sharing Christ with people we live next door to and people we attend school with and people we go out to lunch with or play golf with and all that kind of thing. That's what the gospel's about. It's not just somebody going to a new city and start preaching. That's what they did back then. And uh, we're, mm, I can't think of the English word, but anyway, we're building upon the basis that Paul established and the other apostles established. 
And we need to remember that we are stewards of, of the mysteries of God. God has not given us the gospel to simply be a receptacle or a container for it. Far from that, we are to be a conduit, a conduit through which the gospel flows to others. And so when we show, summing up all this that I'm going to say today from this, these few verses, as a, a steward of the gospel of Jesus Christ as one who knows the gospel, he lives the gospel, and then he shares the gospel with others. Now, a couple weeks ago, I asked a little boy, I met him, his name was, I want to say Caleb, maybe it wasn't. I said, Caleb, what's the gospel? And that kid can answer like that. He was seven years old. If I were to ask you today, what's the gospel? How quickly could you... Re- and we need to know the gospel. Okay, We need to know the historical gospel. And I'm not going to tell you all about the gospel today, but if you want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 2 through 8, and read through that. We need to know that inside and out. We need to know that it, God... It says twice in that passage in 1 Corinthians that it was conforme a las Escrituras, according to the Scriptures. Everything that happened with Jesus' life, His arrival on the scene, His death on the cross, His resurrection from the dead, all that was prophesied. And we need to know that. We need, this wasn't something that just came falling out from... No, no, this was all planned according to God's schedule. Our sovereign God worked out His plan, carried out His plan, accomplished His plan, and that's part of the Gospel. These people nowadays, I know you live in a very technologically advanced society and maybe some people would laugh about the gospel. Let them laugh. Who cares? This stuff works. Christ comes in your heart and He changes you and He helps you to love other people and care about somebody else here on this planet besides yourself. It really does. It. Yeah, well, I'm getting carried away here. But anyway, you know, you've got to know the gospel. And one of the words Paul says here, in verse 4 here, he says, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, the word there is the past participle of to believe in someone. It's the same word, pisteul, okay? It's to believe, like in the gospel of John. You know, we see it a million times in there. And that's, you know, we need to know the gospel. They were entrusted with the gospel. God believed in them. And we need to be those kind of people. For so the first thing, we have to know it, and then we have to live it. In the church in the United States of America and many other places in the world, we don't, we think that, some of us think, that we got saved, and so the gospel worked then, and now I don't really know what the gospel has to do with my life. You know, Paul says in the book of Romans that he wanted to go to the Roman believers, the guys who already knew Jesus Christ, who had already believed in the gospel, and he says, I want to come there and share the gospel with you. I want to teach about the gospel. What on earth was he talking about? Well, the gospel, we get into the family of God by, through the faith in Jesus Christ, and that's the gospel, part of it. We believe that he is the only one that can save us from our sins. He is the, the, the Christ, the anointed one of God sent from heaven, to die for our sins. His sacrifice propitiates our sins. And so we, we believe it and, and then we live it. And we say to God every day, just like when I got saved in 1977 and in Pocatello, Idaho, all by myself in my, my room there, I repented of my sin. God's Spirit produced repentance. And we need to be, Christians need to repent. Me, you, 
not the same way we did when we confessed Christ and embraced Him for the first time, but in the same way. Do you sin once in a while? Like every day? Yeah, man. I get mad at people that cut in front of my car. And sometimes I, I use Spanish words. Okay? Pues hombre! Idiota! You know what that means. <laughs> Imbecile! Uh, imbecile! You know? Okay? And I need to confess, and uh, oh no, you're wrong, Rich. You're the imbecile, okay? God, forgive me for thinking of that other person. I want to win that guy to the Lord. I, you sent me here to win those guys, not to call them imbeciles. Forgive me. And I could go on and on with my wife and our kids and everything, but we need to live the gospel. We need to repent, and then as soon as you repent, you believe in the Lord again. You go, oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Like uh, Pastor Robin was leading us today, he's a great God. Can he save us? Is his salvation sufficient? <laughs> Will it get us there from the beginning to end? It says in Hebrews 12 that he is the author and perfecter of our faith. Yeah, he began it in you, and he'll get you to the end. You just believe in him. And so that's what we do. We repent. We turn from ourselves. We change directions sometimes, another element of repentance. And then we believe in the Lord. We put our faith in Christ again and say, yeah. Thank you, Lord. Forgive me. And does he forgive us? Man, he forgives us. Man, God forgives us. He's a good God. And then we have to share that gospel, okay? Know it. Live it. And then share it. Share it with other people. And sometimes people begin to think, well, if that means I've got to get up there in front of people and do all this, count me out. And I'm not talking about that. Some of the best evangelists, I think, are people that are quieter and are more observant. And many times, some of us who are more extroverts would offend other people or we would set them on such an edge. So God actually wants to use you who might be a little bit quieter than rich to talk to this person. It's not about being rude. It's not about being loud. It's about sharing the gospel. That historic message that still works. I mean, I'm always amazed when I... Ah, I can't get there. Anyway, we'll keep going. Yeah. Now, when we look at uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we have to go back to Thessalonians, uh, or the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17. And some of the things you see there in Acts chapter 17, Paul went to the synagogue. He had to gain a hearing. You need to think about that in your ministry. Here in Bellevue, Washington, where, where can I find people that might, might listen to what I have to say? Do you know during the first term of my missionary service, maybe more than that, that was all four and a half years, I was trying to gain, gain a hearing from the gospel, for, you know, in ferreterias and different places, trying to talk to guys. You know how, how many times I heard this question? They'd look at me. Some guy, he'd go, just tell me, what are you trying to say? What on earth are you talking about? Because they didn't understand my Spanish, and so you pray for your missionaries as you're sending Chris and Rose over to Spain. It's going to be sort of like that, but they're, they're going to be trying to find a place where they can gain a hearing for the gospel, and we should be thinking about that too. In the synagogue, Paul had all those Jewish people who believed in the Bible of that time, the Old Testament, and he had to... He went there and he told them about the Messiah. And then he said a very important thing. He said that Jesus, the one from Nazareth, I preach him. He's the Messiah. He's the ungido. He's the anointed one of God. Okay? 
That's who he is. And then the sparks started flying. Okay? But up to that point, and that's what we need to do. We need to make very clear in our culture that people understand we're talking about Jesus Christ, not the Jesus that maybe they have in their mind. No, the, the one that's explained in the Scriptures. And he's a holy God. And he's the same one. I have a big problem in Spain with arguing with believers and unbelievers. They say, well, the guy of the Old Testament, the God of the Old Testament certainly isn't the one of the New Testament. I say, yes, he is. You turn to uh, the book of Revelation and you see Jesus there in Revelation 19. Man, and is he a judge? You better believe he's a judge. <laughs> and he's going to put the hammer down. And he's the same one back in Joshua 5, Jericho. Same one. And so we need to be clear when we tell people this is who Jesus is. Not, not some Jesus that you've invented in your mind, but the real Jesus. Anyway, Acts chapter 17, we see there, and they shared the gospel like it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. The gospel did not come to the Thessalonians in word only, but in power and the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, with full assurance, as it says in so many other translations. We should understand that the apostle Paul and his missionary team believed in the gospel. There's many things I could say about that. But the main thing I want to emphasize this morning is, do you believe in the gospel? Do you think it's going to work? Or do you think I'm just, you know, this guy is just, you know, well, go back to Spain. <laughs> we'll see you in another four years. I think that's part of our problem. We need to believe in God's message. The reason he wrote in 1 Corinthians that it was so, it's a word of foolishness, and one group and another group, they laugh at it, for indeed, the Jews ask for signs, the Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews, a stumbling block, and to Gentiles, foolishness. But like it, he says here, the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And what is he talking about there? The gospel. That simple, simple little message. Why would God give us such a simple message? Why isn't it more complicated? I'll tell you why, and you know why. So guys like me from Idaho could get saved. I could understand. It's made that way on purpose. So whether we're preaching in the backlands of China somewhere, or whether we're in Carnation, Washington, or whether we're here in Bellevue, or wherever we might be in Alcalá de Henares, España, people, God's Spirit uses that message, and He still wants to use that message to reach people. But we have to believe in that message. And maybe that's a crisis the American church has had for quite a few years. I want to encourage you today. Man, I believe in the gospel. The older I get, the more I believe in the gospel. I don't believe in politi politicians. I was raised in a very political family. I mean, real political. I won't go there with all that. But, you know, I've grown to be skeptical of lots of things. But the one thing I really believe in is I believe in God and I believe in His Evangelio, His gospel. It works. Because it works in my life. We see quite a few times there, we see as we're going through this passage in First Thessalonians, we just, just, just these, these verses up here just remind us somebody's got to speak up in our context. Somebody's got to say something. Do you feel, are you a great evangelist? Are you a great apologist? Neither am I, Okay. I'm a missionary, and God sent me to a place that's difficult to evangelize. And sometimes I don't have the appropriate word, but I'm convinced that the major battle is just, just get in there and start mucking around, man. Say something. 
You'd be surprised how much God can use our little granito, our little piece of grain that we throw out there. God can use that because we believe in Him and we believe in His message and we believe in His Son. And so all these words speak, word, gospel, all that, it's just to remind us it's a very verbal commission that God's entrusted to us, okay? And I know it makes me sort of the butterflies in my stomach sort of, oh, well, no, what are they going to think? And Well, so what? Paul says very clearly here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says, and yeah, we speak, I mean, don't always remember this. Verse 4, he says, we, So we speak not as pleasing men, but God. But God who examines our hearts. God is testing your heart and my heart. He's talking about believers. So first we believe in the gospel and we believe in God and then we, we're always trying to please God. You know, I, if people want to think I'm a fool, eh? Okay, sometimes I am foolish. <laughs> so what? I don't really care anymore. I want people to understand God's great message of salvation. Uh, the, the gospel is first and foremost a message to be proclaimed. It's very verbal. And uh, we are witnesses of Jesus Christ. We're the descendants of the apostles. God has put us here in Bellevue, Washington today so we can share the good news with someone else that lives near to us or that's a member of our family uh, because we love God. To be a witness of Jesus Christ is to use words to explain to others who He is, what He has done, and why that is significant even today. Because it is, the gospel is even more, not even more significant, but it is as significant as it was back in the first century. And thank God it is that way. Anyway, there's lots of things we could say about that. We see in chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, these are familiar concepts with most of you. We see that the gospel produced faith, okay? In the, in the people there. They received. We see the word reception and received. It produced transformation. They became imitators of God and imitators of the apostles. The gospel transforms us. We see that it produces joy. He says there in verse 6, having received the word in much tribulation with joy of the Holy Spirit. These are things that the gospel produces in our lives if we're willing to let God work in us. It causes us to want to testify to others, to tell them about the gospel. It changes us. It converts us. And that's the word there in, in uh, verse 9 where he says, I love this passage, he says, You turn to God from idols to serve a living and a true God. In the country where we serve, Cindy and I serve, there's lots of idols. And statues, okay? And I know Catholicism here in the United States has sort of pushed those all to the periferia, all to the outside, to the... You know, so you don't see it as much. Well, in the country I serve, man, they're all over the place because they still very much believe in those. And I think that demons, like it says in the Old Testament, they're, they're very much like this with idols. And so there's a real attraction. I've been in places like Malaga and Sevilla and Semana Santa, and I've seen people crying as the virgin passed by. It's a little statue. It's a teeny little, teeny little thing way up there on this big high prayed type thing and they start they're weeping why why are they so devoted to that that statue well it's satanic okay and it enslaves people and so these guys had heard the gospel and they turned to God and the Lord is literally they're going one direction 
and now they're going the other direction. You know, it's the beginning of, it's the end of repentance. Repentance, for when we repent, we repent with our mind. And then the natural product of repentance, a change in your mind, a change in your heart, is you'll change direction. And that's what Paul's talking about here with the word convert. When we're converted, we change directions. We start going God's way. And that's what happened to them. And they were there, and they, they quit following the path they had been following, like it says there, and they started serving the living and the true God. That's what the gospel does. That's why I'm so excited about it. And then it produces perseverance. They were waiting, like it says in verse 10, waiting for Jesus from heaven. And that's the Christian's promise, is we're waiting, man. And we don't know if we're going to die here on this planet first, physically. What's our big hope, man? We're going to see Him. We're going to be in His presence for eternity. I mean, take all this pension stuff and all this. i got a pension. Man, I am not trusting in that. Because that's another thing I sort of... I don't know if my dollars when I retire will be worth anything. But boy, I know the Son. He's going to come from heaven. And I'm going to be a part of that party. I believe that with all my heart. And so God's gospel produces perseverance. Let's go on here. So the whole point of what Paul's saying here, twice in verse 4, he uses the word dokimazo. Dokimazo is to prove. Uh, it's first time in verse 4 it says approved by God. Second time it says examines our hearts. And that's the idea. You know, you've heard your, preacher, your pastor teach on this before, but God examines our hearts. He tests us to see if we're worthy of being entrusted with the gospel. And that goes on all the time. God doesn't test us to fail us. God tests us to show us, hey, I can do that. But through the grace of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, I can obey God. I can be a a witness for Jesus Christ here on this planet. And uh, that's what he's talking about here. Are you worthy of his confidence? How would we know that? Reading these verses here in Thessalonians, how would we know what he's talking about? What, is it, what does it look like to be considered trustworthy by, G, by God as a steward of his gospel? Well, I'll tell you what it means. When you look back, Paul begins this passage in chapter 2, and he's talking about what happened at Philippi. And he says, you yourselves know what happened, man. We were. After we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel amid much opposition. And so when we start down through that, that passage there, in, uh, I'm just going to skip ahead. This is how we know that God can trust in us. This is some of the things that we learn, and this is how you can apply this to your life. In Acts 16, we see this process unfolding. Number one, obedience. Paul was this very capable leader, a catedratico de catedraticos. I mean, he was something. And here he gets there. He shows up on the scene there. A second missionary journey. He's got a new team. They get there. And what did the Holy Spirit say to them twice in verses 6 and 7 of Acts chapter uh, 16? He said, no. They were going along Asia Minor. And he said, don't go. You're, I'm prohibiting you. Don't, don't speak there. What? And Silas probably looks at Timothy and says, what is going on with Paul? I mean, we thought we were going to share the gospel with people. And twice in verses 6 and 7, it says, God says, no. 
Don't go up into Bithynia up north, northeast. Don't go there. What on earth is going on? We're not told in that passage how much time transpired between the time Paul had the vision. The man from Macedonia saying, come on over and help us. But, But we know the Spirit spoke and revealed to them, no, be quiet. Go to Troas. And they sat there. And we don't know how long they sat there. But probably the hardest, one of the hardest lessons, if we're going to be trustworthy servants or mayordomos or stewards of the gospel of Jesus Christ entrusted with the gospel, we've got to learn to obey God. Do you like it when somebody tells you no? I don't either. Sometimes God says to us, no, Rich. No. And I won't go into all the biblical examples. There's lots in the Bible in the Old Testament. Okay, God said no. But Paul, he sat down. (laughs) They probably had a team session there, and he probably got everybody. And finally, he got the, the vision from the man calling from Macedonia. But all I'm saying with this is we've got to learn to be obedient. And I don't know what area of your life that would be today. I just know I struggle with sin. I know the Spirit of God lives in me. I know God loves me. I know God has made provision for my sanctification. I know all these things. You know what? I still struggle with anger, lust, you name it. So this teaches me, man, you've got to obey God. Do things the way God prescribes it. And you can study the Scripture. And so uh, that was the first thing. Another thing. So they get, you know, they're going along and okay, they're in Philippi now and and they're there, and it says in Acts chapter 16 that uh, there wasn't a synagogue there. We know that because what, what do we find out? There's just some women meeting out by the river. And that's their first time to preach? Women? Do you know how much a woman was worth in those day and age? You do, because I know it's a good church and your pastor preached. They were considered, in legal terminology, chattel, like a chair. Okay, about worth that much. Or a tire on your car. You could buy them or sell them or throw them or do whatever you wanted with them. Okay? And that's who, that's who showed up there. And Paul and, and, and Silas, what did they do? They say, oh, man, this isn't worth our time. And maybe, one, maybe Timothy, he was younger, he said, well, let's just go back and make tents. You know? Let's just go back to the city and where we're hanging out. You know? No! No, they didn't do that, thank God. There was a humble willingness upon the part of these, these guys. They began to proclaim, Paul began to proclaim, and the others, the message, and you know the story there in Acts chapter 16. Who believed? Lydia. Lydia believed. And Lydia, God saved her. It says the Lord opened, as he was speaking, the Lord opened her heart to believe. Regeneration. And that's because they didn't say that. They were humble. And we should be... We, you and me, man, we should be willing to speak to whoever wants to listen to us, whether they're in prison or whether they're seven years old. We should be willing, humbly willing to speak to other people. Each soul is precious in God's sight. Only pride, only a puffed up self-image would cause me to think that that other guy is not important. Yesterday when I pulled into the Hilton down here, the Garden Inn, I pulled in in this, uh, my, our, we're using our son's ex, uh, second car, and it's, most of the paint's peeled off, okay? So I pulled right in there, right in the, <laughs> you know. And maybe somebody would look at that and go, who's this guy, man? 
Because it's an old car, it's a paint-peeling car, it's a dirty car, I, I could go on, okay? We shouldn't be that way. We should never read, judge a book based on just looking at its cover. We should be the kind of people who say, man, I don't know what God's going to do with this person. Maybe he's, maybe he's not going to do much with this person, but he's going to do something with his brother or his cousin or his mom. You never know. And that's what I see in these missionaries. They were humbly willing to share the faith, and God did great things in that preaching. Courage, courage, courage. We go back in Philippi in Acts chapter 16, and, and the passage there, I'm going to turn there just because I want to make sure I say this the right way. We learn in verse 17 that this uh, demonic-filled woman who had the gift of uh, the spirit, she had a spirit, literally a spirit, an unclean spirit of divination in her. It says in verse 17 in Acts 16, she was following after Paul and us and she kept crying out and saying, and verse 18 says she continued doing this for many days. I got a question for you. Why did Paul cast her out the first, cast out that unclean spirit the first day? Jesus often did. He didn't put up with the devil doing his PR for it. Okay? He often just, said, hey, silence. Why did Paul let that girl just keep doing that? I'll tell you why. Because I think he had an inkling of what was going to happen when he cast out that evil spirit. What did happen? Do you remember? Was it good? It was terrible. They cast out that evil spirit from the woman. The woman, the young woman now, she's, she's freed. She's happy. What did the owners do to Paul and Silas? Man, they got them and they stirred up the city. And that took courage to do. I think the reason Paul didn't immediately cast out that spirit is speculation. is because he sort of knew what was happening. And I've written it in my notes. Um, did Paul have previous experience with situations like this one? Remember, he had been stoned and left for dead at Lystra. Only after, shortly before that, being considered to be a mythical Greek god, Hermes, Paul was no stranger to the subtle schemes of Satan, especially when it involved idols, money, and demons. And I think he was just being really careful. And he didn't know, man, I don't want, I don't want to go through it. And it turned out bad. And so he cast out the Spirit, took courage to do that. It was the right thing to do. But it wasn't so cool for him because he ended up in jail. They took him after they beat the tar at him and they thrust him into jail. And there they were, shackled. And about midnight, what did they do? They were crying. Him and Silas were crying and... And they were just so sorry for what happened. No, the Bible tells us that they were singing and praising, singing praises to God, and the other prisoners were listening to him. Do you believe in the goodness of God? We sang about the goodness of God today. Is God only good when my life is going great? <laughs> no. God is always good. It says this. There's many, some of the verses, but, oh, I forget sometimes where the books of the Bible are, too. In Psalm 119, verse 68, one of my favorite verses, he says, But thou art good and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. God is always good. God is always good. No matter if I get run over by a car or thrown into a jail, 
God is good. And we need to, part of the preaching the gospel to people is remind them, God is good, man. If there's anybody that cares about your soul here on this planet, if there's anybody that loves you and is concerned about your future and the future of your children, it isn't the guy running your uh, pension plan. No, it's God. God is good, intrinsically good, and all of his works are good. And so Paul, they, 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 you know, here he is. They're in the jail, and he and Silas, their metal was tested. And what do they do? Man, they said, they were praising God like we were doing this morning. They were singing songs to God. And they didn't quit believing in that, even though it was difficult. They, they kept believing in God. And we ought to be the same. We ought to be the same kind of people. Because if we want to be in servants who've been entrusted with the gospel, we need to believe in the goodness of God. And tenderheartedness to forgive one's enemies. After that, you know, the jailer, it says twice there in Acts chapter 16, it uses the word throw. That's because they were thrown into prison. You know, if you want to just add insult to injury when you're banging on people, they just pick their carcasses up and throw, toss them into that jail cell, okay? And that's what happened. The jailer sort of went along with the magistrates. And then the earthquake comes and God is going to deliver his servants and all the jail doors come open. And what's the jailer about ready to do, the Philippian jailer? You know the story. He's about ready to run himself through with a sword because he knows it'll be better for me this way. <laughs> At least I'm in control of the sword. Then if the Roman soldiers get me, man, I'll really, it'll really go bad for me. Because if any of these prisoners escape, my life is doomed. And the doors were open, and they were probably going to kill him anyway. And so he's about ready to run himself through, and what do we hear in that prison? We hear somebody yell out and say, Do yourself no harm, for we're all here. And is that tenderheartedness? I would have said, Here, let me help you. Okay? Like those movies we see with the swords. No, that's not what happened. Paul said, Stop! Stop! He valued souls, and he, he called for the lights, and he rushed in, and what do they do? You know the rest of the story. He preached the gospel to the Philippian jailer. He believed. You know that famous question, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, let me tell you about it. And they sat down, and, the, and, and then the guy took him into his private quarters there with his family, and they bandaged him up and helped him. And, and that's because the missionaries were tenderhearted to forgive their enemies. And we need to be that way. Spaniards sometimes can be difficult to love. They put you in your place often. Let you know. They call me a giddy. Hey, giddy. You know, and that means foreigner. You. Or Rubio. Okay? And hey, by the way, the Spaniards will love Chris and Rose's kids because they're Rubios. They're blondies. Okay? If I'm a blondie, man, those kids are really blondies. And they'll love them. They'll be like little dolls to them, okay? So we're going to use your kids for air a lot, okay? <laughs> anyway, tenderheartedness, you know. These are things that God uses. to. When we talk about being entrusted with the gospel in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, these are the things that God wants, wants to develop in your life. He wants you to be obedient and humble and courageous. Not, not, not courageous like hitting people around with the Bible over the head. Nothing, nothing to do with that. But speaking forth is saying the truth. Speaking truth into situations. And then a trust, a deep trust in the, in the goodness of God and in a tenderheartedness and all these things. I could go on, but I'm not. I'm going to stop now. What do we need to do? We need to 
looking at this passage, we need to be people that speak with boldness. We've got the word over and over again. We see boldness and we see word and gospel and speak. We need to speak with care. Paul was very careful. Don't promise somebody that the gospel is going to help them win the lottery this year. We have two lotteries in Spain, El Gordo y El Niño, and they both fall around Christmas time. Uh, El Gordo is the, is, uh, it's the fat one, okay? And everybody, I don't care how poor they are, they'll, somehow they'll scrounge around 100 euros, and they'll put 100 euros down for that one. I have probably get the people of the church thought to do it, okay? I'm talking about betting. But, but one, thing you wanna, one thing you wanna help people see is that just because Christ saves you from your sins doesn't mean your life is necessarily gonna get better in every area. You're not going to have a chicken in your stove or whatever in your refrigerator and a Mercedes in your garage. Maybe not. Maybe your life in the short term is going to get more difficult. That's the truth in some places in the world. So we want to be careful that when we speak to people, we make sure we tell them the truth. And we don't speak out of error or impurity or any attempt to deceive anyone. That's what the Judaizers and people like that and the Gnostics did. And then speak with the right motive. We want to speak to people, letting them know right at the beginning, man, I'm trusting God, and God is the one who sent me here, and I'm sorry you don't like the message, but this is the message. I'm trying to please Him, not you. And then finally speak with our our lives. It's interesting, this passage, a whole other sermon, but I've said a lot about the gospel is a propositional message. It uses words. But it's interesting in verses 5 through 12 that Paul, and we haven't got in that today, the best way, the best, the best track to gain a hearing for the gospel is love. And Paul there in those verses 5 through 12 of 1 Thessalonians 2, he's talking about love displayed. He talks about a mother who tenderly cares for her nursing child. He talks about a father in verse 11. Okay? I cared for you as a father would his own children. The best way to gain a hearing for the gospel is to love people. And uh, we need God's help. I need God's help in Spain, and you guys need God's help here in Bellevue. It's not easy work nowadays. Never was, never has been. But that is what God calls us to. And it's the most exciting thing I can think of in this life. Everything else might fade away, but the gospel will continue. So I pray that some of what I've said today will encourage you in your walk with the Lord and challenge you to try to help some other poor soul walking around here today. Uh, come to know Jesus Christ, their Savior. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you are faithful. We thank you that you love sinners. We think of Luke 15, and we see there that the Savior, one of the, the Pharisees' complaints was that he, he loved sinners. He hung out with them and ate with them. And Lord, help us to be those kind of people. God, help us to be tender-hearted and obedient and kind and courageous. Things that were not naturally, were not that way. We thank you so much for having given us your Holy Spirit who lives in us to produce these things so that you can receive the glory. And that's, that's the focus of our prayer today, Lord. Help each one of my brothers and sisters to live for your glory and your honor. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.